is Maurice Washington. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Executive Talk. Those that are here live in our studio audience, thank you guys for attending. And also those that are watching live. In today's show, we invited, or in today's show, we actually are going to talk about real estate. And we invited Doug Phelps, associate broker of Colorado Home Realty, to talk about the past, present, and future of the Denver residential real estate market. So without further ado, join me in welcoming Doug Phelps. How are you doing, Doug? Good, Maurice. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Thank you so much for being here and talking to us about this real estate market that we're in right now. Delighted to. Before we get into the conversation, just give us a little brief background of your experience in the market. Absolutely. You know, I've been involved in uh, the residential real estate for about uh, 15 years now. Okay. Entered through first the uh, mortgage door, actually, is how I got introduced to the industry, and then was part of... Uh, moving into real residential real estate in vacation homes okay. initially. And then I had an opportunity to do some commercial real estate for a period of time, property management, and then came back to the residential real estate. And I've been doing that now for several years. I got you. And so here you are. Yes. Here you are. So I think it's important before we talk about the, the depth of the all the values and everything that's increasing and ha happening right now in the Denver marketplace, I think it's important for the consumers to know what's, what are the important issues that consum consumers need to know right now. I think one of those important issues is uh, what do they need to understand the um, issue regarding real estate agents? Oh, it's, uh, there's a distinction. Okay. Um, there are a, a lot of real estate agents, but it's not wise to just hire any real estate agent. Now, there's a significant difference. And what I want to point out is the difference between just a real estate agent, residential, and a realtor. Okay. A realtor is somebody that is significantly different, has gone through extensive training, has to adhere to a code of ethics, has a certain level of expertise. They can give the consumer, the client, the buyer, the seller confidence that they have an ally, a partner, an advocate. Uh, consumers really need to ask, how are you going to add value? It's one of the biggest transactions, biggest investments we make. It is often complex. And so we really need to study what the client's goals and objectives are so that they can really make a wise decision. What are the qualifications of that particular person mm -hmm. you're looking to hire? Right. That is significant. Gotcha. So when you think about it from this perspective, low barrier of entry, what exactly does that mean? Why is that so important to, for us to know? Um, regrettably, this industry has a low barrier to entry. Hmm. Okay. About anybody can go to school, pass the test, pass the state licensing, and have their license. Hang it with any broker in town. Okay. For consumers, that is just, it's, it's not wise to have that kind of, of professional, sure. if you will. There are about 18,000 real estate agents working the residential market oh in the Denver Front Range. Of that 18,000, about 3,000 are part-time. Mm. Part-time meaning doing one or two transactions a year. Gotcha. Consumers need to know that. Want to hire a professional, want to hire somebody that is doing this as their profession, been doing it for a while, that is what is important. Not all agents are created equal. That's good to know, yes. All right? So <laughs> we all know thunderstorms come here in Colorado. Right. Hail. Roofing companies come in from yes, out of town. That's right. That's right. Come in, canvas a neighborhood. 
offer to replace those roofs, maybe do, maybe don't, but then they're back <laughs> out again. Right. It's that in and out of mentality that consumers need to be aware of, need to be conscious of, so that they are not going the wrong way. Consumers have the perception that this is easy. It is not. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I think it's important for us to see because, again, there's a lot of increase in values right now. A, a lot of consumers are feeling that. They're seeing it. Some people are enjoying it, et cetera, et cetera. But talk to us about, talk to us about the trends in the marketplace and take us backwards 20 years back. Would love to. And my uh, managing broker at Colorado Home Realty is terrific. He does a great deal of research, always keeping us on the forefront of what is happening. And he recently went back 20 years to see what has been happening in residential real estate prices. Okay. And so climbed in that DeLorean <laughs> and went back into the future. So what he looked at and what we're going to look at now is single home price values, averages going back to June of 1996. Okay using a 12-month moving average, which is really just a simple way of balancing out our seasonal price swings that happen so we can see the trends. Okay. So bear with me here. Let's look at this. From June 1996 to you. December of 2000, okay. single-family home prices start out at just a little over 155000 rise to about 241000 a little underneath that, as the 20th century came to an end. Okay. This was an annual appreciation rate of about 10% gotcha. per year. Okay. January 2001 to August of 2006, All right. prices continue their upward march, but at a slower rate, just a little over 4.5% per year. We end out at just under 315,000 gotcha. average sale price. September 2006 to February 2008, Home values drift down a bit over this 18-month period. Okay. End up at just a little over 303,000. March 2008 to August 2009. <laughs> right. We all know what happens. The big plunge. Yes. The average price declines to 255,000 as part of the worst recession since World War II. Right. That almost 16% drop is relatively mild, though, compared to other real estate markets across the country. Gotcha. Okay. September 2009 to January 2011, okay. the market recovers two-thirds of that lost value, climbing to an average sale price of just under 283000 just 18 months after we bottomed out. February 2011 okay. to April of 2012, here we're a little bit of a flat period. Gotcha. Yeah. Prices vary a little bit, no more than $4,000 over that period of time. We end up at the average at just a little over 282,000. Then, from May 2012 to June of this year, mm. when this report was done, the market begins a strong upward push. In almost a straight line, we end up average sale price at just a little over 411,000. Mm. This annualized rate of increase, nine and a half percent, nearly equals what we experienced in the last five years of the 20th century. So would, you, would it be fair to say that we're experiencing a cycle right now? I would say we are. We are in the midst of a cycle. Um, this industry does cycle. We're a little bit insulated here in the okay. Denver Front Range on an island to a degree. But I think what the experts, what I'm looking at seeing going to happen over this next year, 2017, is prices will relax, be an appreciation of about 5%. Okay. Which is a good thing. That is, yes. Still good. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. 2018, you know, 
we may be seeing some of the, the relaxing of the cycle. We need it. It is important to have happen. Okay. Now, I think a lot of consumers are starting to see it or at least feel it, but the rumor has it that there's about 100 people moving in Colorado per day. Mm -hmm. Is that rumor correct? It is a statistics that I've heard, absolutely. Okay. And what's driving that influx of people? For a lot of folks, it is our economic diversity. We have a lot of broad base of businesses now that we had not had in 1990s, the early 2000s yeah. even. So there's much more going on. Um, people are attracted to our quality of life. Sure. Okay. We're attracted to our economic strength. We're highly entrepreneurial here in the Denver Front Range. So that brings a lot of people here. And then of those industries, we have high tech. That's right. High tech brings in high income, well-educated people. So that is who is moving here. Broad diversity. It's good. Okay. So with that being said, with, when you went over with as many people that are coming into Colorado, with the values increasing to 411, again, upwards of 9%. Would you say this is a, a healthy marketplace or unhealthy? Well, it, it might sound odd to you, but it's actually unhealthy. Uh, what is happening that. with values? I mean, if you're selling a home, you're in heaven. I mean, really, <laughs> sure. you've got prices continue to do this, trying to uh, get as much as you can for your home. Sure. But if you're a buyer, you're exhausted. I mean, it's a long, difficult process in some cases. And you know, working with a realtor can help make that unique situation better for you. The uh, affordability is becoming a bit of a challenge, even though highly diverse, high-income folks coming here, but we still have some issues with that. And let me illustrate. The Denver Metro Association of Realtors okay. reports that in August of this year, on the market, a little over 7,300 homes active for sale on the market. That's down 3% from July. Sure. But over half of that number, a little over 4,000 are homes that are priced at 400,000 mm. and higher. Gotcha. Significant factor there. Remember economics 101 I in do, high I school? Yes. Basic supply and demand. Demand high, supply low, prices are gonna continue mm -hmm. to do this. Gotcha. If we had a balanced market, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 16,000 homes available for all those folks coming in to purchase. Wow. Okay. We're not going to see that for a little while. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then, with, since there's so much movement going on, you have first-time home buyers. You have people that are buying. You have people that are selling. People are heavily researched with the access to information that we have now. One of the things we research is Zillow when we first want to make a purchase. Right. So talk to us about Zillow. What is the proposed value of Zillow? Zillow, you know, Zillow we all know about. They do a great job marketing. Um, a lot of people believe Zillow is the end all be all. <laughs> and what I want to do is, is caution that. Okay. That just isn't the case. Zillow is a great tool for consumers to use, to start with as a data point. Zillow is using their best educated guess mm. to arrive at an approximate home value called their Zestimate. Yeah. We've heard of that, right? right? So, but what Zillow is using there is public data. Could be months, could be years old. An interesting uh, fact about Zillow is that uh, about 100 million people per month 
unique visitors wow. to the website. Last year in 2015, we had something like 6 million transactions, real estate transactions. Okay. Quite a disparity Absolutely. there. Um, Absolutely. So what we're, we're looking at there is those numbers are widely inaccurate. Zillow even talks about how their national average accuracy is plus or minus 15%. Gotcha. In the Denver Front Range market, that could be $30,000 either way. Either way, yeah. Significant. So Zillow is a great starting point. It's not the end-all be-all. Gotcha. So what does the fine print of Zillow suggest? The fine print of <laughs> Zillow says get a comparative market analysis, a CMA, from a realtor. They understand is, and acknowledge yes. that it's hyper-localized, very specific. There are other resources available, and that's what a good realtor will do, is analyze your unique situation, make sense of it. Sure, okay. Well then moving on, people's greatest concerns. If you think about it, if I'm in my neighborhood, I can look at my neighbor and say, you know what, they've been able to sell their house within a couple of days. I can look at my neighbor across the way and say they've been able to move their house within one day. With that being said, I can look at that situation and, and tell myself, you know what, I can do this myself. Do you find a lot of people doing that and is that a good option? You know, a lot of people do do it. You know, it's one of the biggest investments we make. But let's get the elephant identified in the room. You can buy or sell a home without a realtor. It is possible. But the questions you have to ask, are you willing to jeopardize getting the price right? Again, it's hyper-localized, very specific from home to home, neighborhood to neighborhood. There are critical deadlines, legal ramifications that are involved, let alone the peace of mind, mm. anxiety that's involved. Want it done right, the sure. biggest investment we make in our lives. Okay, so on the flip side, I wanna I want to address both sides of the fence. So as a seller, what am I concerned with? Well, if you're a seller and you want to do this on your own, you need to have skills of presentation, okay. skills of marketing, skills of negotiation, skills of doing showings, answering questions <laughs> from buyers, being available. I have a friend that coined a term she calls time bankruptcy. Ooh. <laughs> we all just have a That's limited right. amount of time. Right. Do we really want to be spending it on that? That's right. It's likely that the buyer has got a representative for fighting for them. Who's fighting for you That's it. if you're the seller? That's it. So then what am I concerned with as a buyer then on the flip side of that? You know, buyers often are asking, especially in this market and what's going on, is my home going to hold value? The question I have to ask back is, how long are you going to stay in the home? Yeah. That can be significant to how one answers that question. The data suggests, and based on the cycle and what we talked about before in the graph, that if you're in a home five, seven, or more years, you have an 80% chance, a reasonably good chance, that you're going to make money on the sale of your home at the end of that period of time. If you're going to be in your home something less than that, then you know the percentage might be more 50 50. Okay. but again it's hyper localized it's unpredictable it's unique and a good quality realtor will help you make sense of your particular situation gotcha all right so this one this question is for people here in the studio audience how many people enjoy golf 
I'll see. Everybody enjoys golf except for me. <laughs> so the people that don't enjoy golf, why is the golfing community a hidden gem? What do you see that people that don't play golf see? Right. Uh, I mean, I know many <laughs> no people who, yes. who don't play golf and don't even know golfers <laughs> and therefore maybe have zero interest in living on a golf course. And that's okay. But being a golfer and being passionate about it, uh, I see an opportunity there to connect with people. And in that case, there are certain important things one needs to consider about that hidden gem opportunity sure. to live in a golf course community. Okay. Of course, anybody that's a golfer has a passion for the game. But even if you don't, Maurice, imagine <laughs> living right there where you have this maintained open space as your backyard. I can see that. I can no, imagine that's, that. That's all right. No, yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. So even non-golfers can <laughs> that's like that. Right. <laughs> for a golfer, though, what you have, you, you're close by for play or for practice. I know of several that would love to get out before heading into the work in the morning, getting two or three holes in in the evening after, getting some practice in. So if it's right there, sure. you're talking about getting back some free time that, that we true. have not much of, that time bankruptcy. Yes. But then there are other issues that you need to be concerned about. What side of a hole of the facility do you own on? Most of the time, being on the right side is <laughs> not the right side. And then other areas around the golf course. You know, golf is a sport for all ages. It's a family opportunity. You can play forever. What a great way to, to do a family activity around a golf course. That's a good point. The other thing, financial strength of the golf course, you need to look at that okay. and help with that, making sure that there are water sources. You remember 2005? I absolutely We did, had a yes. drought here yes. in the area. Yes. Several golf courses I know had to close yeah. because their water source stopped flowing. Gotcha. Significant things, those all come into play in evaluating the, the hidden gem that is golf community living. Well, you have me sold. I'm gonna go find it. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, let's go ahead and go to Megan uh, and see if there's any audience questions. Megan? Yes, thanks, Marie. Thanks, Doug. We do have a, just a couple audience questions. Okay. First, we're going to start off with Gregory. Gregory, if you want to come on up. Gregory, Gregory is with Granderson Wealth Management, Inc., and they do comprehensive financial planning, alternative investment planning, wealth management, and more. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Doug, um, as a wealth manager, Many of my clients and friends read in the news uh, papers and hear certain advertisements about fe the Federal Reserve raising rates that people should get their home mortgages locked in now. Can you describe the relationship between the, the Federal Reserve rate and the home mortgage rate? Good, Gregory, thank you. Great question, I appreciate that. Um, between the mortgage rates and the Fed rate, there is really no direct relationship between those two. Uh, the Fed rate is significantly, what that is talking about is the rate of interest that banks charge one another to borrow money overnight. The Fed helps to set that. What is significant in the primary indicator for mortgage rates is the 10-year Treasury bond. That's paying attention to that. That is significant for mortgage rates. There are a lot of other economic factors that go into the mortgage rate. Uh, the Fed rate is not one of those. Now, if you have a home equity line of credit, your credit cards, things like that, even an ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage, that might have some impact at the time it comes to adjust. But for those folks having your conventional 30-year fixed mortgage, the Fed rate 
is not a factor. Thank you, Greg. Next up, we have Walker. Come on up, Walker. He's with Forte Human Resources, and he is the president. All right, thank you, Megan. Yeah, recently one of my neighbors sold his house. And during that process, the buyer asked for a radon mitigation system to be put in the house. Can you tell us about radon and what a mitigation system would look like? I sure can, thank you. Very good, good question. question. Yeah. Uh, radon is an invisible gas. You can't smell it, you can't see it, you can't taste it. It occurs because radioactive material in the soil, soil is causing the gas to, to occur. Out in the wide open, it means nothing. Gas is disseminating as fast as it's occurring. But when you're talking about in a home, it can get into the basement, into the foundation, through cracks, through other things, sump pumps, uh, even a furnace or AC that is doing drawing in the air. So that can cause radon to get into. It is, the EPA cites it as a cause of lung cancer. And so what probably occurred in this case, that the buyers had a test, it's inexpensive, easy to do. It came above the measurement that e the EPA suggested. And so the sellers agreed to put in a mitigation system. Not expensive to do, but is a good peace of mind because of the concern for lung cancer. The interesting thing about it is that you equate that to smoking for your entire life, one pack of cigarettes a day. Wow. But it is, it's a concern, so it's easy to take care of. Awesome. Thank you guys, thank you gentlemen for your questions. Those are awesome, those are wonderful questions. Thank you Doug for your answer. So with that being said, you gave us a lot of good information and I'm sure the audience thank you and those that are watching live, thank you as well. But what are your final thoughts? What do you wanna uh, leave us home with? What I'd like to leave everybody with is, you know, home is, is our base camp for life. It is the hub by which every other aspect of what we do centers from. It is one of the most, therefore, the most emotional transactions we ever have in our life. So I encourage everybody to do that. You want a partner, an ally, an advocate for a truly rewarding experience. A realtor is going to know how to handle your unique, specific situation. Take advantage of that expertise so it's a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just to give my final thoughts with everything that Doug said, time bankruptcy, the value, those are two important issues that us as people really, and especially as consumers, we really need to pay attention to. And the value of a realtor is extremely valuable. This is, like you said, an expensive transaction. It's not a transaction that you make over and over and over again. This is typically that one-time transaction that can last for 10 to 15 years. So make sure you have a realtor with you to run through this transaction and don't go at it alone. There's a lot of moving parts. And just stay, stay safe, and a realtor is your safety zone within that transaction. What I like to do is invite everybody to follow Executive Talk here on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter. We'll have this conversation out for you guys to follow up and uh, enjoy some more of it. So, but in the meantime, Doug and I, we have to get back to work. So you guys have a good day. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Maurice. Appreciate it. Right, appreciate you.